Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Vulcan. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to episode 74 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Lindsay Lewin joining us. Lindsay's a mother to two Thai children. She's a tethered oral tissue and airway advocate. And Lindsay embarked on her airway journey in 2014 when her oldest child was referred for early orthodontic intervention and tooth extractions by their general dentist at the age of six. It is her goal to empower parents, especially mothers, to embrace a central role of team leader in planning and managing treatment of tethered oral tissues, sleep disorder breathing, and craniofacial growth in children. Lindsay's philosophy of care planning is rooted in the belief that the intrinsic wisdom that is birthed through creation should be trusted above all else. Hi, and welcome to episode 75 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we are continuing our conversation with Lindsay, so let's get started. And that's where, you know, I feel like tongue tie, phrenectomies, frenulplasties, all the above get such a bad rap in the medical community because sure, if you send a baby or an adult or a child for a phrenectomy by itself, they're not prepped properly. They're not getting the proper post-op care. We're not holistically looking at how are they breathing? How do they chew? How do they swallow? Like what's going, you know, do they have tension anywhere throughout the body? Not just in their face, not just in their neck. Like that's where even people within the myofunctional therapy community aren't always they don't know in looking yeah. at it from a holistic perspective and understanding the importance of all the, the practitioners and the team as a whole you know that's where i think what you're really sharing is like look at all the progress that can be made when you have the right team right, right for your needs and the importance of all of these practitioners working together obviously and understanding what the other one does is extremely important too. So yeah. well, in a perfect world, all of these practitioners would like get together and talk about you, but that's not how this works. Like we do that. We do that in my area, but or at least my team does, I mean, but I know that's not that common and that's what I'm trying to change. I'm trying to change that. <laughs> well, and it's not like they won't, but the people right. we're working with, oh man, they're so busy. They don't have time to do that's those true. things. You know, yeah, and I'm a confident true. person. Like, yeah, I can figure it out. I like to lead the care team. I want to say when, when what is done, how we're going to do it. You know, when we do, when I do a release in my family, I have all the body work lined up months before we do the release. Yeah. Like, yeah. And the post up, and we're, I'm already planning with the myofunctional therapist. We're already doing all of these things before yeah. I call the dentist and say, hey, I need this done. Yeah. Well, and I, I think realistically, too, for a lot of families, I think just the, like you've talked about it, the cost of all of these services, right. because many are out of pocket, many are not covered by insurance, yeah. and or maybe your insurance does cover it, but not with the practitioner that you want to go to, because, you know, this is not truly that airway centric practitioner that is actually going to treat from the perspective that the rest of the team is looking at. And so I really need this person over here and the insurance is going, no, no, no. Like you've got this person in network close by and you're going, no, 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 I don't want that. No. So so I've been able, we have Medicaid, they don't cover anything. 
I've been able to get reimbursed for all of my son's cranial osteopathy with an out-of-network provider. Fantastic. And I got approved for full reimbursement for his oral growth appliance to treat central sleep apnea. Yeah. Well, and we've, we've learned, so I think I know the provider that you're yeah. <laughs> go to and from speaking with him, um, we've learned that, or at least I learned, I didn't know this, but that growth appliances are actually an approved treatment method for at sleep apnea and right. even children, right? So arguably we should be able to get general health insurance, not, not dental insurance, but your right, medical. medical, your medical insurance, your medical, listen to me, your health, your medical insurance to cover, um, a growth appliance. And well, sleep apnea is a medical problem, right? Retronathia is a medical problem. If you right. go and you say, Oh, they're tongue tied, they're going to be like, hmm, whatever, or, or the teeth are crowded or something like that. But if you go and say, my child has retronathic jaws, yeah. medical condition. Right. That's the difference. You yeah. have to use the right terminology. Um, well, I think you really help pave the way in fighting for this. And yeah. especially as you mentioned, you're on Medicaid. And so I think a lot of our families who are on Medicaid who feel like, well, I can't afford any of this. No, you know, you're well. especially because they can't look at you. If you're on, you know, if you have lower income and you're on Medicaid, they say you're legally not responsible for any medical payments that you people bill you for. They can't by law. So if you pay it, they have to reimburse you. Yeah. They have to. And with sleep apnea, especially with children, they're like, take out the tonsils and the adenoids, you know, and then do another sleep study. And then you have to do whatever suits the child best after that's done. And if they don't need their tonsils and adenoids out, they still have to treat the sleep apnea. Yes. Just because that's the first line of defense. If that's not what that individual needs, they still have to treat them. Mm-hmm. Can't put my three-year-old in a CPAP and I'm not going to because it's going to stun his jaw growth. And that's a big problem. Right. We know it's going to change the shape of his face and it's just right. going to further impact the shape of his airway. Right. I mean, exactly. there's, there's obviously a time and a place for CPAP. I'm not a respiratory right. therapist or an airway, you know, or a sleep doctor by any means. I won't pretend to be, but we do know that what we see in adults is that it change it flattens your face it pushes yes. the jaw backwards like that's yes. the opposite of what we're trying to accomplish here right. yeah so like it can be done and you know what practitioners who care practitioners who really understand what's happening with these kids they're going to find a way to make it feasible for you to get what your kid needs if you're willing to do the work right but you have to be willing to do the work you can't him and haw and say oh do i really need this do i really need that no they said you need it. You need it. If you're willing to find a way, they're going to help you find a way because they want you to be successful. That's why they do this work. Yeah. They want to help you and your family. Yeah. So, I mean, make deals harder. Do do whatever you have to do to get your kids the help they need. Don't take no for an answer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we are private pay, but we give all of our families the information they need to call their insurance and basically say, hey, we're laying this, this, and this out for you. Like, give us reimbursement basically yeah. at the highest in network level is what we're asking for. We're telling them you get that gap exception or whatever your insurance calls it. Mm-hmm. And because here are our credentials, here's what we do. Here's what your people do not do that are in network. And most of our families, most of them, at least the ones that try and want the reimbursement, they're able to get 
pretty right. darn good reimbursement, more than we would get paid if we were in network providers. Right. So it's incredible. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right. The practitioners and not a lot of practitioners even know that they can do that for their patients or that they, they you know, and so we're trying to, uh, through what I'm doing, I'm trying to educate practitioners on, Hey, like, this is what you can have your patients do. This is how you lead them to getting these services covered. This is, right. you know, even if you don't take insurance, you can still help give them the information. And then, like you said, you have to be willing to, you know, call your insurance. You have to be willing to actually do the work that's being recommended. Well, and, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a full-time job. It's not easy yeah. by any stretch of the imagination, but. You can do it even like later. My son's osteopathy. I didn't start. I didn't start submitting that until more than a year after we started treatment. I didn't think I could. And then I started reading my manual and doing these things and he had to have it. Yeah. Had to have it. So I asked our in-network airway centric ENT if he could help me out. Yeah. And, well, and did you have the sleep study up front though, or did you do that later? No, no we had the sleep study. We had already done the sleep yeah. study. We had already done swallow study, laryngomalacia surgery, yeah. tongue tie release. We had already done all of those things. He was yeah. still having a terrible problem. And he gets this like frontal bossing when the fluid in his cranium isn't moving. It's intracranial hypertension. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous. And our ENT knows that. And I just said, I need a letter of medical necessity. And this is why I need it. This is right. how it relates to what you do right. in our treatment course mm -hmm. and how it's going to benefit him and make sure what we're doing is going to work. He needs yeah. this. I need it to be paid for. It's a covered service. It's medically necessary. Yeah. You know, and it was enough to convince him to write me the letter. Yeah. But what you're asking for is also legitimate, right? You're not asking him to write this bogus letter just to get something covered that you think he needs that he doesn't actually need, right? You're asking right. for, like you said, it's an actual dangerous situation. Yeah. It's medically it's necessary. And, but you're asking a practitioner who maybe would not have made the connection or maybe this one would have, but other ones would not. So sometimes right. parents are you up against that too. Yeah. Right. You need to yeah. know your practitioners. You need to, like, if you're going to go and ask them for these things, you have to supply a reason of value to them. Yeah. I asked my pediatrician like 10 times. She laughed at me. She was just like, what? I'm a doctor of osteopathy. And I was like, eh, you may be a DO. She's like, it's massage. And I was like, well, I don't think so. I'm not going to ask you anymore. Never mind. Find Never somebody mind. else. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see you when we have an ear infection. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, goodness. No, but I think that that's really helpful because I think a lot of parents need the encouragement that it's worth fighting for. And I always tell my parents, I'm like, be the squeaky wheel. Yeah. It is the insurance company's job to deny you and to deny you again and for you to appeal. And then typically third time's a charm. Like you, if you go yeah. that far, it's a major pain in the butt, but like 99% of the time they cover it. So even if you're not on Medicaid and you don't have the same requirements that you should right. I mean, yeah, they, they it's medical. This is a medical problem. Yeah. We have to make insurance pay for these things or none of these children or people are going to get what they need. Yeah. No one's looking. They're not going to pay for it unless we start demanding that it gets paid for. Parents have to start putting in the effort and yeah. getting medical insurance to cover these things. It's a serious problem. I mean, yeah. half of the children in the United States have chronic disease. As children, yeah, how are they going to grow up into functioning adults? But they're not. <laughs> they're not. That's the bottom line. 
Yeah. And he's going to take care of them. Like yeah. I had no problem doing all the things all at once right away because I knew that I couldn't afford to wait to do anything. There was no way that I could afford to take care of a completely disabled child yeah. and give him the things that he needed. Why? When I could give him a life of being able to self-sustain and be independent. Why would I choose to wait? I can't, I can't afford that. I want him to have the best quality of life possible. Yeah. I want both and of I my think, children. I think to. all parents do, right? But not as yeah. many parents have access to the information that you had or that or knew where to ask or who to speak to or what kind of practitioners might be, you know, necessary. So I think this is a really helpful message because I think it's one, I think it's gonna be very empowering to other parents that like, yes, you can get insurance to pay for it, be the squeaky wheel. Like, hey, no, it's not just a tie, like there's way more going on here. Yeah. So yes, you've heard about it in the tongue tie groups, but maybe their tongue ties didn't resolve because it wasn't the main issue. There's a lot more that needs to be unwound it's not just cutting kids tongues like don't cut the midline without preparing the body that's the center your nervous system depends on that yeah like, please just stop cutting kids yeah. without any preparation dentists yeah providers please stop cutting kids without any preparation yeah because you're not going to have success stories right Right. One of our local pediatric dentists has a sign off form. And so that child, she recommends, she basically says, I need you to see this practitioner and this practitioner and this mm -hmm. practitioner. And then she calls, like she'll call on her drive home to talk about the case with the other practitioners to find out, well, did you assess them yet? Have they even called you? Like what's going on here? And basically present the case to you and then ask, you know, then she'll follow up. Like we follow up, we have, and it's literally two minutes. It can be two minutes. It can be five minutes. It can be 15 right. minutes, but two minutes of, I saw them. This is what I saw. You know, yeah, right. this, this is where they are. Yes, they're ready. No, they're not. And I have to sign off on that form before That's she awesome. will do the release. And so they can't even schedule the appointment until that form has been signed off on. And that's where I'm like, this is, this is the kind of system we need to have in place so that parents yeah realize what's necessary because it needs to come from the practitioners yeah not you know like you said if, if you're just well, releasing the tongue, you know, he it's, won't it's release basically dealing false hope to parents yeah. by just right. exactly. well, you're doing i mean you're honestly you're doing harm because if you cut a nervous system that's in dysfunction the same way you can relax the nervous system by changing the cellular memory if the body work is done and the body is prepared and followed up with, with the functional things if you cut a nervous system in dysfunction, it's going to be an even more dysfunction. Right. It's right. just going to get tighter. Yeah. You can't just yeah. cut it. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing harm. Yeah. Like, and that's why, you know, I feel like some babies reattach very quickly. No, even though the parent did stretches yeah. or, you know, it's well, the body didn't, wasn't given a chance to right. differently to support the released tongue. So we're basically just cutting tissue to then send the body back into the right. same format it was in prior to the release. This is not helpful. Right. So, you know, and I think that that's where hopefully this is like lighting up some light bulbs for some parents who might be listening because, um, I see this all too often and it's not necessarily the release that was bad. It's right. that the body wasn't prepared and that release provider is not making sure that this child is getting the necessary pre and well, post support needed. And everyone is human. Like right. we all make mistakes and parents have to be accountable for knowing what they're doing. Like you should never go to a release provider and be like, I don't know what ties my kid has. You need to know there's seven frena in the mouth, yeah. lip, lower lip, buckles, tongue. There's seven. There's at least seven. You need to check every single one of them for blanching. You should know before you walk into that provider's office, 
You should tell the provider what you know. They should talk to you about what they see when they do the exam. And then you guys decide what ties are going to be released. Yeah. Like yeah. parents have to be as accountable mm -hmm. as these providers do. This is, it's all new territory. Like it's the wild west. Everyone is just trying to do the best they can to help people. And parents need to be as accountable as providers. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely my, and that just gave me a great idea because I have done, like when I've done, um, these free trainings for practitioners on how to like use our feeding screener, which looks at TOTS as well, looks at tethered tissues, um, from a very brief screening standpoint, even just see if something is present that we're concerned about and if further assessment is warranted. I did, um, back in June, I did like a I was like, you know, there's a ton of questions about tongue tie and like, let's just talk about like, let's just do a one hour quick training on TOTS in this group. It's in one of my, my professional groups and mm -hmm. we did it. And it was, I was amazed to see how many people didn't know there were seven Frenum. They, <laughs> like, they had no idea that there were seven Frenum. They were like, wait, what? There's not just the upper and lip there's... and the tongue? Right. Like, there's like you can have one in the lower lip too. I'm like, yeah. And for the lower lip one is one of the most important. Your mandible is not going to come forward if it's still connected into your sternum with your lower lip tie. And literally nobody here is releasing that of anything outside of maybe one practitioner right. that looks at that. And, you know, and I, and this neural surgeon. So I'm like, I think maybe that's part of it too. But at the same time, I'm like, we've come so far. Yeah, we have so far to go. <laughs> Are they just looking at frenum? Because we're looking for restrictive tissue. Yeah, yeah. Like, I probably should record a podcast episode just talking about those seven attachments. Those well, my son didn't even have, there was no frenulum in mm. his lower lip, but there was like an inch wide white spot on the pictures I got from the original dentist. Mm. You know, because I emailed him and just said, can you send me the picture so I can look at him? There's a huge white spot in his lower lip. Yeah. Huge. Like this whole mandible was completely restricted by that lower lip. And I cry. That's incredible. No yeah. Well, and that's where we need to be retracting everything. Right. And looking to right. see where is the tight, where's their tight tissue appearing. Right. It's not right. always a visible yeah. frenum. It's not yeah. always, and that's where the whole posterior conversation comes in and people say, there's no such thing as an anterior tie because every anterior tie has a posterior component. I'm like, I don't care what you call it. As long as you call it a tie and you know that, that there's restriction and that we need to do something about it, whether that, you know, whatever that treatment plan looks like, fine. But I'm like, I don't care what you call it as long as you're looking for it and you understand right. that it's deeper than what we can see at the surface. Well, and they don't realize that it's like restricted embryologic tissue. Like right. your body developed inside of this tissue. Yep. It's not like it was just like made tight. Like, yeah, there's trauma. Trauma makes it tight. Dysfunction makes it tight. Yep. You want to peel back those layers, get yep. to the embryologic restrictions and then release the band. Yeah. Well, that's what I was just actually talking about in my last podcast. I recorded it. It was just me. And I was like, we need to jump back into Mayo. I did a little business series and I actually talked about how there's a failure of apoptosis and this is when everything should recede back, right? It grows right. outward forward and then it should recede back. And that right. tends to happen up towards the head, up to the cranium and then back down towards the toes. And so that's typically why if you have like an upper lip tie, you probably also have a tongue tie and maybe a lower one as well. Yeah. And you know, it's just because of how apoptosis happens, the direction it happens. And it's not always the case, right? But quite often that is the case. But if apoptosis fails to happen in utero, we start swallowing by 
12 weeks of age in utero and your patterns are already set oh, yeah. by the end of your first trimester. And that's when I started talking about this on the episode. And I'm like, I know people are going to be like, wait, what? Like this is, I teach this in my Feed the Feeds course too. When I talk right. about, when I do the TOTS module, because nobody realizes, everyone talks about, oh, well, you know, it's like happens in utero. I'm like, I don't think anybody understands how early it is. It is literally there like since conception, okay? It's basically there since you are conceived, it's, it's right? Everything that, it's the whole craniofacial complex. Like, yeah. I couldn't breathe. I had turbinate reduction when I was in my 20s, and it was awful. They rotorooted my face. My turbinates are, like, beautiful now. I still couldn't breathe through my nose until I had my buckles released. Yeah. Where, where your face fuses, where the pharyngeal arches develop your throat, you know, your larynx, your epiglottis, your mandible, your tongue, where your eyes and your nose fuse. Like, all, this is where all of these connections begin. It happens so early. Yeah. And when I had my airway eval, the dentist was like, you know, open and swallow with your mouth open <laughs> and I literally <laughs> choked like I had, like had to bend over because I couldn't breathe he was like oh my god I don't know how you live this long mm -hmm. pretty much I'm like my dad's golden retriever wolfing down my food my whole life just to get food into my system and then I'm like oh my god I'm hyperventilating my whole life I've been hyperventilating like yeah isn't that crazy it <laughs> is crazy yeah. People don't realize that they're living this way. They know I don't. And well, yeah, yeah, I can't tell you how many adults I've treated too that basically have very low quality of life that are just absolutely, they're depressed. They are, you know, they don't know how to get out of what they're living in, but they also are completely lacking oxygen, not sleeping well because they can't. Right. And it doesn't matter what you do for them. Like it's just a band aid. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't improve their quality of life. And they've been to so many specialists and just so many practitioners. But by the time they get to me, and these are grown men, they are in tears when they finally speak to me. And I'm like, we can help you. And, you know, here's what we can do for you. And no, this is not normal. And here's what, you know, here's what's on the other side of this, right? And here's what is possible. Um, and to see people actually have hope again. I mean, I don't think people realize that all the work that you're doing right now is preventing this, this poor quality of life for your children down the road. It's not just whether they can function or not in society, but this whether is they actually, can survive. It's like, yeah, I mean, I think that there needs to be, there needs to be some studies done on this because I think there's a high connection between what is done in childhood versus, you know, the, the rate of depression and quality right. of life in adults in their twenties and thirties. Like it, I'm not talking like, well, and there's, beyond, there's like, guys that I went to school with now that are, you know, they're in their thirties and they're dying of heart attacks. You want, yeah, yeah. Even their wife alone with their kids and they have yeah. no support and they have been snoring forever and, you know, died between like two and five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And nobody ever, because nobody thinks snoring is abnormal. Right. Everybody does it. So it must be normal, right? No, it might be common. It's far from normal. <laughs> right. I mean, every, every psychological disorder in the DSMV-5 has a sleep disorder component to it. Yeah. Like, and all of us, 90% of us have underdeveloped jaws. I've seen a child, they had a naturally forward face and I was just floored. I, <laughs> they're her four parents. Like I asked them so many questions. <laughs> it was like, what happened in her birth? Did she have any problems feeding? Did you breastfeed for a really long time? Your face is huge. 
That's amazing. I know, but it's like when you see this, you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it is possible. <laughs> it is possible. I mean, I've seen kids that have been developed, like our osteopath, her four kids have all been through orthodontics and their faces are beautiful and they are like the calmest human beings you have ever been around. Like you can just feel how calm their energy is when you're in the same room with them. Mm-hmm. And my niece is three and a half and she had all the things really early and her face is beautiful. She mm-hmm. still has sleep apnea and had to have her tonsils and adenoids removed because her epiglottis is obstructing her airway. So it's never just a tie and it's never just long-term <laughs> breastfeeding. Like it's never just, you can't just do something for a little while. Right. You have to watch these kids, their whole development. Yes. Yeah. Well, and so many things can, can lead to a change, right? I mean, it could be as far as moving to a new state that has horrible seasonal allergies and all of a sudden you can't breathe. And so now like other things start to happen as a result. And, you know, if you are already at risk for some of these airway issues, it's just going to exacerbate it much further. Whereas maybe it was moving at a much slower pace where you were living before. And so, you know, sometimes parents move to the DC area where I am and allergies are horrendous here. And they're like, we never had allergies a day in our life. And all of a sudden my kids can't breathe and there's this going on and there's these symptoms. And I'm like, it's just, it's just a testament to how hard it can be to breathe with the slightest change in environment, like an environmental change. Right. But obviously these kids obviously had some other things probably going on for that to have that big of an impact on them. Um, But it's just, it's just interesting. The kind of conversations we have with people who move here from out of state and all of a sudden they land in our office, like my office. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever pushes you over the edge, go do it. Right. Yeah. But my, my oldest allergies went away completely within six months of getting ALF. They haven't returned. That's been Lily. So she is sneezing a little interesting. She just had her ALF out last week and she's been sneezing a lot. And it's like fall here. And I'm going, huh, you just said that? I'm like, I need Keep to talk a notebook. To I need to talk to my dentist. <laughs> I need to text her when we finish when we finish yeah. chatting and be like, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, she's home right now, right? She's not in school. I was just talking to my husband about this, how it'll be so interesting to see what happens this winter because she's not around the germs, right? And mm-hmm. um, when she went into her ALF, she did not have really any colds or any of those types of symptoms while she was in it last, oh last winter, um, which was the first time ever because she was the kid who was prone to that with a massively enlarged, infected-looking tonsils that the ENT didn't want to touch. And I was like, I'm not asking you to do surgery. Like, I don't want to put my child through that if I can avoid it. But they're almost kissing, and I'm a little concerned about that. Um, and so now they've, they've gone – they're still there. They're more of like a size 2, but they're not inflamed. They look pretty calm. And so, you know, definitely, you know, we'll have to watch them now. The ALF is out this winter, but it's so well, if you do have to do something about it, make sure you do see somebody that's going to do a dice because if they don't do a dice, you end up like me you have to take your more of your kids and daddy removed later on because nobody checked the rest of the airway. Yeah. Fun times. <laughs> I know. I know my sister, my sister's a family nurse practitioner. Now she's been an IBCLC and RN for like 10 years. She asked the ENT that took her kids in to remove them. If, if she would check their epiglottis and she goes, Oh, I don't, I don't have the tools to do that in the OR. Well, well where, where do you have the tools to do that? <laughs> I mean, it's just a scope. Are you even an ENT? Right, like, that's interesting. 
they just they don't know and we have to we have parent it has to be parents like physicians practitioners they don't have time to go around knocking on doors being like hey did you know this hey this is a real problem like parents need to start calling their school districts and saying why aren't you suggesting a sleep disorder evaluation when you're referring children for behavioral evaluations like mm -hmm. If you can suggest that they need to be checked for a behavioral disorder, you can suggest yeah. that there might be a sleep issue that doesn't have to do with their home life and has to do with their anatomy. 100%. And that gets into, we won't go there, but that gets into the whole like ADHD thing because I ended up getting a diagnosis. Well, they wouldn't diagnose me at 19 because I was 19. I was successful through all of my schooling. And then I go to college and I basically have a horrible first semester in college. And I was also like, I'm partying and like not studying. Like I'm studying right. like three hours before my, my exam. But I would go back and look at a test and I'd be like, I know 13 of the 15 I got wrong. Like I could barely study. Like what gives? Like that's not... I couldn't focus and I was having like anxiety over the test settings because I couldn't focus and I did fine in high school and I was like, I just chalked it up to like, well, college is a totally different testing environment and situation set up than high school. And anyways, they tested me and they're like, well, your IQ is too high for you to like you and, and you're like now 19. And so for, we're not going to label you as having ADD, but you are a candidate for Ritalin. I was like, okay, yeah. fine. Just give me the drugs. So I took them hated yeah. myself on them. My grades shot up to like a B average the next semester. And then I was a straight A student from there all the way through the undergrad school. Yep. But I like pulled myself off those meds because I hated them. They did help me focus, but I know, but they wear you out and they make your jaw tired. And oh yeah. Well now I know that I obviously was not sleeping well. I had a, I had sleep disorder breathing. I had orthodontic relapse. I had wires behind my upper and lower teeth. So my jaws hadn't shifted because I had the permanent retainers in the lingual yeah. bars. And which well, all other kind of like builds up. Those are fun. Um, I mean, so it's like nobody was looking at this because I had beautiful teeth because right. it was being held in place. Doesn't matter that my tongue wasn't resting in the proper place. Doesn't matter that I wasn't sleeping well. Doesn't matter I wasn't breathing well. Oh, I also got, um, I also developed a, an allergy um, to peanuts randomly at around the same time. I'm like, do we not think this is some kind of a stress response on the body? Like where does a random allergy out of nowhere where I've eaten this my entire yeah. life show up? And oh, by the way, once I was off the medications and started dealing with some of this stuff, like six years later, the allergy went away. Because your nervous system wasn't so overwhelmed. Yeah. Like, yeah. Your nervous system and your immune system are kind of the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I was obviously also not eating well because I was in right. college and I was eating like cafeteria foods and, you know, study like yeah. diet Coke, eating peanut butter what and ice cream. Like it was college, <laughs> like whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just so interesting when you look at everything holistically to like see like, well, if only somebody had said, Hey, maybe we should do a sleep study. Right. Well, what maybe about I would have had take Ritalin for so long? Maybe I would have had, you know, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> well, all these babies, like these babies with torticollis and plagiocephaly, no one's, no one's checking them for sleeping disorders. Like mm -hmm. if your head is misshapen, it's because your tongue didn't go to the roof of your mouth when you were born because right. that's what realigns your cranial bones and moves the cranial fluid and breathing relaxes the connective tissue so that it can do those things. Yeah. But they're not, no one looks at that. They're like, you know, stretch it or keep them on their tummy, tummy yeah. time. Do tummy time. Listen, tummy time doesn't fix things. Like, yes, it's an asset, but not if it's done in a compensatory way. Like, right. 
And it doesn't solve cranial nerve dysfunction. You have to go to a body worker. And if you put a helmet on a baby who can't breathe, they're going to be able to breathe even less because your head can't expand when it's restricted that way. That's very true. Yeah. And those kids have pain. Like it's painful. Yeah. They want to know why they're unhappy so much of the time. They are telling you something. They're communicating something to you. It's not just that their bellies are uncomfortable or that they, you know, it's, there's more going on here. Great chronic pain and inflammation all the time, just like us. We don't know how dysfunctional we are until it it breaks and there's no more. Well, these little kids, yeah, they act like they're happy sometimes then the rest of it, but they're not sleeping. They're not feeding well. You know, there's a lot of kids. There are studies that are showing that these kids with torticollis or plagiocephaly are having neuro- neurodevelopmental delays later on. That's the current research. It's not from back sleeping folks. That's right. not a thing. Right. No, if you're not sleeping, there's a reason for that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Whether you're a two months old or 20 years old or six years old, yeah. like there's a reason for why you are not sleeping. Yeah. One of the biggest things that I teach is airway. Like even if you're not the airway specialist, you need to understand that you need to be looking at it and you need to be asking about it so you can refer out to the right person if you're yeah. not that person. When somebody comes to you for a feeding, taught, speech, you know, language, yeah. OT, eval, I don't care what you're assessing. Ask, if you're not asking about sleep, you're doing it wrong. Right. <laughs> like if you're not asking about sleep. And here's the thing. I also teach that parents sometimes think their kid sleeps great because their child doesn't wake them up. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. They don't. I've had kids. I had a child who had the worst case of obstructive sleep apnea that ENT had ever seen. This child supposedly slept through the night. But when they assessed this child, the child went for an emergency tonsil, tonsil and adenoid ectomy, because it was like, we, we can't let this child continue to possibly kill herself and suffocate in her sleep anymore. So like that was an emergency removal of those tissues. If I'm just, it drives me up a wall that like, this is not taught. Nobody's not, nobody's looking at it, but a lot of practitioners are not looking at it. I think I'm lucky in my space that people are hearing me loud and clear and, or hearing other people that are in the Mayo space that are saying airway, airway, airway. Like you need to be learning about it. Even if you don't treat it, you still need to know how to at least screen for it, minorly assess it and refer out for it before you do anything else. Like that is step one. I mean, if a mom says my kid doesn't sleep, don't turn around and say, well, you need to put them to bed earlier. Like (laughs) don't give them so much to drink before bed. Give them sugar earlier in the day. You know, it's like, I don't, that's not helpful. You know, give them a bath and rub them down with lavender and read them 10 books and rock them. And then they'll fall asleep and sleep all night long. Um, Mm -hmm. no. Yeah. Human, why wouldn't you want to sleep? My dog loves to sleep. He's chilling, you know? He's like, my dog too. <laughs> I always joke. I'm like, I want to be him in my next one. Right? <laughs> Me too. Can we just sleep, oh please? I don't know. I'm so tired. I'm not as tired as I was, but I'm also not done. Like, I know that I need expansion. Yeah, it's a journey. I know that my airway is still not competent, but I think I'm going to go. I have a bunch of facial asymmetry from my birth trauma. So my sister and I, my identical twin sister, who's a family nurse practitioner and a labor and delivery nurse and an IBCLC. And here I am, I'm a college dropout who did terrible in school. And, but I'm no less intelligent or capable than my sister. I just have more birth trauma than she does. Yeah. Her face is symmetrical. She doesn't have the cranial strains that I have. And you know, it could be from in utero. It could be from the C-section. Yep. 
you know, who knows exactly. Back to that age old question, two, two kids come out of the same household, two twins in your case, right. come out of the same household, same opportunities, yeah. same background, you know, but what, like, what's the difference, right? Well, birth trauma, birth trauma, you know, it's, 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 she yeah. has the epiglottic obstruction too. We're genetically identical. We've had genetic testing done. We're exactly the same human being when it comes down to genetics. Yeah. So the difference is trauma. Yeah. And that's why people ask me, they'll say, well, why do you ask your adults about like their birth experience and their breastfeeding experience? I'm like, well, I want them if they're able to, to go back and ask questions about this. I want to get as much information, even though it might not be the most accurate, complete information. Sometimes they'll come back and be like, well, my mom always joked that like I was a horrible feed. Like I, I, like for me, I'm like, well, I couldn't breastfeed. My mom couldn't get me to keep down any milk-based products. I refused to drink the the ones that stunk like stinky socks because back in the eighties, it was like soy milk was like horribly stinky. So Mm -hmm. I was a pain in the butt to feed. Oh gee, I wonder why. Now that I know what I know, like that's actually very helpful information. Right. My dad is like, my dad, our nickname was Beaners. We're the Beaners because we were always falling down when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Always falling down. Oh, guess what? Well, um, my occipitals are totally locked up. My temporals were moving in two different directions. Like, no wonder I don't have any coordination. My cranial yeah. bones are out of alignment. Yeah. Yeah. Like my mandible turns in on the left side. Yeah. And so you can see that my teeth don't align down the center. Yeah. My um, upper and lower central incisors. And so that's one thing that we've been working on actually with my DNA appliance and with my body work is we've been trying to, you know, get that the mandible moving. And it's been throughout certain points of my DNA appliance where I feel things lock back up or we, he's like, mm-hmm. Oh, things are really moving today. I can, you know, you feel yeah, that I can actually crazy. feel the pulse. Not everybody can feel it, but I'm like, Oh no, I feel that. Like I can feel. And so, but that affects the, the entire rest of the cranium. Mm-hmm. Like everything shifts when that is, he's like, this is moving better. And so now all of these, like I've never felt yes. so mobile before everything's just fluid and moving. And I'm like, Oh, this is so good. It's like amazing to feel your own body. It's like, I never felt myself before, but this is crazy. Yeah, I can it's feel cool. the fluid in my spine and cranium moving. Mm-hmm. It is so I think I'm going to go with ALF for a while try and fix my facial asymmetry before I go into AGA and then control arch braces. Slow yeah. and steady. Slow and steady. Yeah. I did two, two years in the DNA appliance and then um, I definitely have enough room for my tongue up there now. And so now we're actually thinking about like going into Invisalign. She thinks that that for me might help to continue the, um, the mandibular work that I need done. And actually he was in agreement with that. So I'm like, whatever. I'm like, whatever you guys think is going to work best for like my current situation, like that's where we're going. So yeah. that's our, that's step two. We're going to try that and see if that helps to kind of get everything into alignment and hold it there. But yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I'm like, I'm not going, I'm not going to go to our, the dentist that we use for the kids for the ALF because that's not his favorite thing to do on adults. And I want to use all my team players yeah. for, you know, what they're best at. Absolutely. Because that's what they're going to be passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. Lily just had her ALF taken out, as I mentioned. My husband's probably going to be going into one um, with the, the dental team that I work with actually uses a variety of appliances, which is really nice. And they they feel that it, like different appliances are best for different right. you know, candidates, which is also why I love them because they're not like a one appliance stop, you know, or it's like, nope, sorry, we only do that. And yeah, like, if you do that, that's fine. Works. But yeah. like, I love that like my patients can go there and they have 
they know that they're going to be recommended what's best for their situation. So, yeah, I mean, my kids get whatever appliance they need because ours uses a huge range of appliances. So whatever appliance suits my kids needs, that's what they get. Like we pay for treatment. They get whatever appliance they need to get the growth they need for where they are at that time. And I never have to worry about it. Awesome. Awesome. And he's super passionate about Aga. So when I'm ready to do that, I'll go to him. My sister, my twin sister just finished Aga and she's in control arch braces. Oh my God. Her face is beautiful. I'm so jealous. You'll get there. You'll get there. (laughs) Ahead of me. They all got released and like did things before I did. And my young or my oldest, the girl, she still needs to be released. And we're going to do that at the end of treatment. You know, I have to say for Lily, I think we naturally need to go to a second release now because she was released at two and then went into her appliance around four. Mm-hmm. And now that she's got a different shape, you know, mouth, like her Still tongue, fast. the yeah, posterior portion of her tongue, I don't think it elevates to actually reach where her, right. you know, the shape of her, um, her mandible now. And so, or her, sorry, her maxilla. So I feel like we need to do that second release so that she can actually now make contact. So I think the posterior portion is maybe it is making contact, but she's, I don't know, whatever it is, it's definitely too restricted for the current mouth she now has, which is very different than it was when she was two years old. One, because of growth and two, because of their appliance work. So, well, and I feel like these people that are like, oh, release your baby right now, breastfeed them. You'll be able to avoid braces. No, that's not true. And one release isn't going to do it. One release doesn't do it for anyone. Yeah. Like, I think I need another release too, actually, now that I've had the work done. Because when I, I do yeah. this. Oh. I can feel a little bit of my, you know, the floor of my tongue pull yeah. up a teeny bit. I'm um, good here though. Yeah. No, yeah. you've got good range. Anybody yeah. who's watching this on YouTube will be able to see. <laughs> For those of you who are not watching, we're comparing how we can suction our tongue to our palate yeah. and do a tongue. I mean, I'm tongue. good. The floor doesn't lift up at all. I have pretty good range. Yeah. You can see like I have yeah. some like reattachment at the bottom. Yeah. Oh yeah. A little bit. It's I a mean, little, I can feel it. Like it's tight. Under, like in the floor yeah. of your tongue there's some the tongue. floor because if I put my finger down there oh yeah look how white it my tongue back down it's like boom and I'm yeah. like oh man <laughs> well I still so my left buckle this left lower buckle didn't get released all the way it's like I don't know but, the, here, but yeah right here it's still too tight there's no frenulum there but it's like the whole band yeah. And they'll do it. You know, I'm just, I love my practitioners because I go to them and they're like, look, we don't always get it all the first time. And I'm like, no, no, this is a work in progress. We're going to use that release to change the trajectory. I'm right. going to. Right. And then, you know what, sometimes you need to, you need, like you said, you need to further release or a second one right. because not that the first one was, it was incomplete, but now things have shifted and changed. Right. And now we might need to adapt to meet the new, you know, structure. Right. So and oh, this has been amazing. But it's like, this is an opportunity to change the course of what's happening that you wouldn't get otherwise, like embrace it. Absolutely. You can change your whole life if you do it, use the right tools to do it. Yeah. Embrace it. It's not scary. It's powerful. Yes. Embrace that power. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story of your kiddos and you and for your passion and you know, I think it just, it'll really help. Like the first half, I know we really spent on like your story, which I think is going to be so, so helpful for a lot of parents to hear because I think so many, even practitioners who have these kiddos, I've, I've actually had um, therapists go through like my feeding course and then they're like, oh my, oh my gosh, Holly, like I just diagnosed my entire, and this is like 
you're towards birth to three and their kids are older and they're like, I just diagnosed my entire family. Like I now know how to help my 25 year old who's really struggling. Like, you know, thank you because like I had no clue, like nobody's ever told me this is what was going on. And it was all they needed was a little bit of a history of what, what are tethered old tissues? What can we do down the line if we don't address them early on? And Oh, Hey, by the way, from a myo standpoint, like what else is going on is on top of all of that. So it's been pretty incredible to see, um, I love the podcast because I feel like it's just a great platform to get this information on the parents, but also practitioners need to be hearing this. And the second half of we talked about definitely got into a little bit more of like the nitty gritty and treatments and, you know, different type of treatment paths, but, you know, a little bit more about full long-term effects of what's going on from first onward. Best of intentions that doesn't, yeah, you have great intentions, but if you don't have the foresight to really understand it's not, yeah. it's not helping people. Yeah. So I love that your podcast offers that all these different practitioners and that you talk to parents and do all these things. I really think, I mean, to me, parents are equally as important on the team of, of, you know, providers like, hello, you're with your child. Right. Much more than any, pra- any one practitioner mm-hmm. is, and you know, your child best. And I always encourage parents, like you have very helpful information that you may not realize is helpful yet, but us working together is going to bring that out. And we're going to be able to figure out like, what is the best track of, you know, what is the best treatment plan for your family, for your child, for you, right. whoever you know, is, is the patient. Um, because every single time we get a parent in here with a child who's tied, the parent then lifts their tongue up and goes, am I tied too? <laughs> yes, you are. Here we go. <laughs> you are. Your whole family probably like, it's genetic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I don't know why our jaws are shrinking, but they are. <laughs> Epigenetics. You know, I feel like it's, <laughs> it's a combination. Well, of I mean, if mom can't breathe, baby can't breathe. Right. Right. And yeah. cellular, I mean, you can change those kind of dynamics in a, in a couple of generations. Yeah. We do it with plants and animals all the time. Changed one direction, we can definitely change it back the other. It's, you yeah. know, it takes time, but start now. <laughs> That's why I was like, I'm not pulling any teeth out of my kid's head. Yeah, I'm so glad. Yeah. It'll, well, you know, you would think after like what your son has been through that they could see, right? That, you know, he's clearly a different child. It's amazing. No, no, they're like, oh, you did a great job, Lindsay. Okay, don't dwell on it. You're not that awesome. Like... <laughs> I took a child who like literally was completely out of it and helped him thrive again. Like that's, that's no small feat. That is huge. No, I mean, okay, Lindsay, whatever you say, you know, like, well, we're not going to pat you on the back for it, but he is doing much better. Okay. You can pat yourself. I'll pat you on the back. (laughs) You can pat yourself on the back. That was, it's amazing. It's really amazing. I'm just going to rejoice in it. Like we, when we come home from the dentist, like, I don't know how many, probably not a lot of people do this, but we drive home from our dentist and I'm like in tears of joy, like so thankful the people that do this work that have like helped me save our lives. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's completely. Well, I think it's also hard to understand the impact until you've lived through it and you're seeing it firsthand, not necessarily like in a dramatic case, but like I think for some adults, like they don't know, like they they're don't. probably living with this and they really, they just, they just don't get that they could be feeling, living, experiencing differently. So my older sister doesn't believe that she has any sleep apnea and she just got diagnosed with a heart arrhythmia. I was like, you know, we have this thing in our throat that like is genetic. <laughs> and so, you know, by the way, midline, midline defects, you know, yeah. the heart is tight, you know, heart, tongue goes on, yeah. you know, Every, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, all right. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so, so much for joining us and sharing all of this. 
I know it's going to oh, help. Can I, can I plug my website? Of course you can. Go Yay. ahead. So I was going to ask you, are there any last things you want to share? And oh. if not, please tell us where to find you. So you can find me at airwaymama.com. I have started a consulting service to help moms like me with complex kids that didn't get results early on and are still just kind of lost and really need some direction. That's awesome. You and know? we'll put all of, you know, this good stuff in the show notes. We'll also include, yeah. um, we'll include your website in the show notes cool. as well. So if anybody's driving, like you don't have to, you know, pause and yeah. <laughs> try to write this down or anything. Um, it's, it'll be in the show notes and yeah. I'm, I'm so excited for the work you're doing. It is so, so very needed. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your work too. This is, it's really, it's very important. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan, and you can head over to the untethered podcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 